You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. I want to say thank you for your uh, generosity uh, in giving. Uh, This afternoon I was um, uh, pondering a few thoughts and I uh, dropped it out there. Uh, on the internet, and uh, I want to read it to you tonight. Uh, I was sending this to a, to a few friends, and then we posted it. 30 years ago today, I launched our evangelistic ministry, Cutting Edge International. I drove from Springfield, Missouri, to Joplin, Missouri, to speak for a Sunday night service. For that service, I ministered on Where Is Your Faith? During those days, I was, for, I was fortunate to own a midnight blue 1980 Trans Am. Sure do miss that car. I had saved my money for five years so I could purchase it. When I came to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, um, at night you could read the taillights on my card that read these words, Jesus saves. I learned a way to take off the rear back light panel and to place solid black electrical tape inside in such a way that spelled these words, Jesus saves. Everywhere I drove in the evening, all those behind me would read, Jesus saves. 30 years later, the message has not changed, and we have not deviated from it. It's hard to believe that 30 years later, and after more than 8 million miles, we've continued to minister about 48 weeks per year. There have been so many changes, some good, some bad, in the church and the world, yet I can summarize these 30 years with these thoughts. One, focus. Know what you're going to do and get started now. Two, faith. Know that the Lord has called you and go for it. Number three, family. Know that those who love you are for you. Number four, friends. Know that those are the closest to you are a reflection of your next five years. Number five, future. Know what your hope is and it will motivate you to keep going. Six, farewell. Know how to plan for the finish line. No one lives forever. It is It's not always been easy, and during those three decades, we've laid to rest two children, had to fight off wolves from time to time, and I've learned that if the Lord has given you a vision we're fighting for, there will come a time that you will have to fight for it. And yet, through it all, our Lord has remained faithful, and we have been fruitful. Blessings, your friend, James. I recommend that you ponder uh, those six elements. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. In a moment, we're going to begin with verse 19, 1 Kings uh, 19. Give you a moment to find it. 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, verse 19. Give you a moment to locate it. It's one of my favorite uh, passages in all the Bible. Uh, We have, uh, I think, three copies left of this book on how to make the net work. Um, When you get to heaven, Peter's going to ask you if you've read it. So you might as well go ahead and get ready. Um, and I recommend it to you. And then um, the other one is on what to do when the lights go out. And uh, as I shared with you on Sunday night, it took me about 20 years to learn it before I could write it. And let me tell you why it's a thin book. I figure when you have, to, when you have a heavy burden, you don't need a heavy book. And let me tell you what else I've learned. When we laid to rest our two children, we received a lot of books. We did not read the big ones. We read the little ones because we already had so much already on our mind. The big theology book on why people suffer, well, we didn't read that one. 
Um, the, the, the large book on suffering in the world, well, we didn't read that one either. But let me tell you one book that we read many times. It's a little tiny paperback book by Jack Hayford entitled I'll Hold You in Heaven. It was about 80 pages, a little hand, uh, a pocket-sized book. And so I just figure when people are going through a hard time in their life, they don't need something heavy to carry. They just need a roadmap to walk on. And, and so I recommend it uh, to you, and I know that uh, it will minister to you. Now, I've been fortunate to travel a little bit and been in a lot of churches, and I want you to listen to what I'm about to say before we stand for the reading of God's Word. God has given you a wonderful pastor and a wonderful pastor's wife and family. I watched uh, two out of the three children in, in the praise and worship tonight. Um, I listened carefully as I, as I travel. Anything that's worth doing is worth doing with somebody else. And anything that's of any significance is going to take more than one to get it done. Um, and, you know, in this day and time of technology, the technology that we have, oftentimes we think, well, a thank you in a text message or a thank you in a little email is adequate enough. But I tell you the ones I read the most are the ones I still get handwritten notes um, because it's something about it. When you know that that person actually picked up an ink pen, actually found a piece of paper, uh, you say, what about the green earth? It's going to be all right, whether you fill out this little note or not. Don't lose any sleep over it, okay? And, and so write a little expression of appreciation to your pastor, his wife, and let them know that you're praying for them, that you're standing with them, and, and then, you know, uh, stamps just went up, about to go up again. I think it's uh, either 48 or 49 cents uh, each. And, and you, so you, you need to get a stamp. And, and, and you have to get an envelope. Uh, and then you put that stamp on that envelope. You may fold that piece of paper. You say, well, I'll go get a card. It's not the same. You say, well, I'll go let Hallmark do the thinking for me. It's not the same. Find four or five sentences. Write it on a piece of paper. Fold it up really nice. Put it in an envelope. Drop in the mail, send it to the church, and express appreciation, not just on Past Appreciation Sunday that takes place in October, but express appreciation. Because anytime a person, a pastor, wants to lead the church forward, there's challenges that come with that and, and demands that come with that. And we need to express appreciation. I believe the most important person in any and every town and village and city on God's green earth. It's not the state legislator. It's not the governor. It's not the president of any nation. It is a God-fearing, spirit-filled pastor. And God has blessed you with a visionary pastor who wants to make disciples, wants to win the lost, wants to tell this whole county and then some about who Jesus is. A pastor who doesn't like to turn away a missionary in need. A pastor who wants to tell the whole world about Jesus. And you know what? A lot of churches don't have a pastor like that. And God has blessed you with that kind of leadership. And somebody said, amen. And so take my encouragement... And get a piece of paper and an ink pen and a stamp and an envelope and put it in the mail and express appreciation. You know, there are those who are helping with our children this week. There are those who have been cleaning up after us each, this, every night. We need to express appreciation. Those who have led us in praise and worship, those who have done this or that, it, it doesn't just happen. People give their time. The greatest investment that you and I can make is not our money but our time. 
You can't go back and get another minute once it's gone. It's the greatest asset of a person's life. And so people volunteer and they give their time. We need to go out of our way and express appreciation to them and let them know that we recognize it and that we are thankful for them. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word tonight? First uh, Kings uh, chapter 19, <clears throat> verse 19. So he, talking about Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Japhat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took uh, the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled the flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah, Elijah and ministered to him. Dearly Father, thank you uh, for this incredible assembly. Thank you, Lord, for the 35-year history. Thank you, God, for the faith of a couple that came and put a stake in the ground and said, we'll build a church right here. Thank you, God, for their faith and their tenacity to see it happen. Lord, we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone ahead of us. And I pray, O oh God, that you would expand the, the, the borders of this great assembly. I pray, God, that you would deepen the influence and the networking and the camaraderie among others uh, to achieve what you desire for to be done. I pray, God, that you would just pour out uh, prosperity, that you'll pour out blessing, that you'll pour out things that are beyond our imagination. Lord, I thank you for all that you have done these last few days, and I pray that you will deposit something extra special in our hearts tonight. And Lord, we will be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Sometimes God does more and says more in a second than entire volumes of books could ever record. When Jesus Christ broke bread, looked at his disciples and said, this is my body, he was saying more and doing more in that second than volumes of books could ever record. When Elijah walks out, in an open field, unannounced, with his divine logo, his mantle, and places it on the shoulders of Elisha, God was doing more and saying more than entire volumes of books could ever record. May God do something in our life tonight that we will look back later on and say, it was that evening, that snowy, cool evening in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, that God did something divinely unique in my life, and as a result of it, I was never the same. I believe there's a pathway to personal power with God, and that's what I want to share with us tonight. And there are some junctures on this journey that we have to follow if that's what we desire to have in our life. First of all, there's a priority to practice, a priority to practice. Um, 
It's interesting that at the very end of the passage that we read tonight says, and he, talking about Elisha, ministering to him, talking about Elijah, uh, he, he understood his first priority was and is to minister to his master. Can you say tonight with absolute integrity that your highest goal and ambition is to minister to the king of the universe. See, the Lord doesn't empower rebels. He empowers servants. If he empowers a rebel, he just helps the rebel to be more rebellious. Maybe we don't have as much power that God can trust us with. You ever thought about it? We have a priority to practice. You see, some people think that the church exists for them. The church does not exist, first and foremost, for you or for me. The church, first of all, exists for him. Sometimes people come to church and they say, well, I came and I didn't get anything out of the service. Well, the service, first of all, wasn't for you. We have to ask ourselves, when we come together, does he get something out of the service? If we make sure that he gets something out of the service, he'll make sure that we get something out of the service. You see, it's not, first of all, about us. It's about the Lord. You know, uh, in the business world, um, businessmen and women learned a long time ago that you got to take care of the customer. And I understand that. Um, however, in the Christian world, in the church, first and foremost, it's not the customer. It is Jesus Christ. We are to make sure that Jesus Christ is the reason why we come to worship to the Lord. Now, now, does the Lord want to bless our life? Yes. Does the Lord want to pour out in our life? He absolutely does more than we can ever imagine. But the first reason we come is that we want to minister unto our master. You see, the ministry that Elisha had to Elijah is found in 2 Kings at the very beginning of the, of the book. And you know what his ministry was? He washed the hands of Elijah. Now, how many years did he do that? Eight years. Every time Elisha's hands got dirty, Elisha would wash the hands of Elijah for eight years. You know, if we were to start a hand-washing ministry here at the church, probably wouldn't be a lot of takers for that. I mentioned to the leaders on Monday morning, small doors can open into big rooms. The reason why a lot of people don't see the bigness that God has planned for them is because they can't get their ego through the door. Ego stands for edging God out. And a lot of people are not willing to stoop low enough to get through the small door and see the big room on the other side. Jesus said, if we, can be, we cannot be trusted in, with little, he's not going to give us more. And so we have to be faithful in the little things. We have a priority to practice. Listen, once you know the path by which God has called you to trod, you don't take every exit. The Lord willing, when I get to the Pittsburgh airport, I'm not going to walk up there to the counter and say, hey, any flight's good for me. I don't care which one. Just put me on something. 
she'll look at me like, well, why don't you decide where you're going, and we'll tell you which plane you're going to get on so that you can get off on the other side. I mean, think about, um, think about the next vacation that you're going to plan. Do you just get up one morning and just get in the car not knowing where you're going? I mean, you even give enough planning for your vacation. That only lasts for 7 or 14 days. But when it comes to 7 to 80 years on the planet, most people don't plan at all. They just figure it's all going to work out. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's not just all going to work out. There is a path by which we are to trod. We are to get on it, and we are to stay on it. Listen, we are not competing against one another. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, it ta- talking about the Lord, the great cloud of witnesses. And then the, the writer of the Hebrews says, and the track that he has laid out for us. It is the Lord who lays out a track for me. It is the Lord that lays out a track for you. We are not running on the same track. You have a race to run. I have a race to run. The tragedy is a lot of people die before their race is finished. Because they spend so much time off the track. They waste time. They waste months. They waste years. They waste money. They waste their energy. And then they say, Lord, I surely, I, I wish I had more time. My friend, we can either use time or lose time. You can't borrow it. You can't take it. You can't give it. You either use it or you lose it. And every day, we're to get on that path and we're to stay faithful to what God has called us to for the glory of Almighty God. There is a priority to practice. Um, February 18th is our gotcha day for Olivia. It's a big day in our family. It's when we adopted our first daughter. And then June 21 is the gotcha day for, for, for Priscilla. When we were getting ready to, uh, to go to um, China, uh, we were going to be leaving on Valentine's Day. And um, to, to go. That's the way it just worked out. And um, our, our, sons, our son was born on Valentine's Day, died the next day. A few years later, then we would leave on Valentine's Day. We'd go to China. And, um, and so just a few days prior to my wife and I going to mainland China, I was standing in the kitchen of our home, and my cell phone rang. Um, this was before the phones got smart. Just a cell phone. And, and, um, and so I answered it. And a lady answered on the other side. This is about uh, maybe the 15th of July. Excuse me. Uh, maybe the 10th of February. And, and so uh, I answered the phone. And the lady said, is this James Davis? And I said, yes. She said, um, she said I'm a head of security uh, here at the White House in Washington, D.C. I said, ma'am, I did not do it. I promise you, I did not do it. I said, I have an identical twin brother. His name is also James and she started laughing. And I do have an identical twin brother whose also's name is James. I am the oldest, and that's important for you to understand that. Um, I'm 16 minutes older than him. And I uh, just want you to understand how old I really am. And, um, and so I said to the, uh, to the lady, I said, uh, it wasn't me. And she starts laughing. She said, well, your name's on a list. I said, oh, no, what list is that? And she said, well, it's on a list of about 40 people. You're scheduled to have breakfast with President Bush tomorrow morning. And before um, you can come to the White House uh, for breakfast, we have to do background checks and security checks on you. And, and she said, so I need some information. And I said, ma'am, I said, um, I'm honored 
that I'd be on that list. I said, but I'm not going to be there tomorrow. I, I'm just not going to be able to make that appointment uh, tomorrow morning. And, and she said, well, can, can I tell the president why you can't have breakfast with him tomorrow morning? That's exactly what she said, trying to power up a little bit. And I said, well, I'm glad you made that comment. I'll be glad to tell you why. I said, I made a promise to my wife tonight that we would go to the Battlefield Mall in Springfield, Missouri, and that we would do our shopping because we're getting ready to go to mainland China. We're getting ready to adopt our precious little baby girl that was born on 010101, so she's got to be the one. I, I, I said, uh, this little girl, the Lord had prepared for us before the Lord formed the, the, the world and the universe. And so if you don't mind relaying that on to President Bush, that the reason we're not, not going to be able to be there is because we're getting ready to adopt our precious little baby angel, and we're getting ready to go to China, and we're getting ready to bring him back. I said, I'd really appreciate that if you could just relay that information to him. And she got quiet for a second. She said, well, I'll be glad to relay that information to, to him. After I hung the phone up, my wife's eyes were like this, big saucers. And she said, are you really not going to Washington, D.C.? Um, to have breakfast with the president tomorrow morning? I said, no, I'm not going to uh, Washington, D.C. to have president, uh, breakfast with the president tomorrow morning. She said, she said why, why, why aren't you going? I said, oh, we could do that anytime. I said, we're going tonight to the mall. And we're going to get some luggage and we're going to buy some clothes. And we're getting ready to go to China. Now, why am I telling that story tonight? Because we knew what the path was. It wasn't the White House. The path was getting ready to go to China. I didn't have to debate it. I didn't have to try to figure out how to do everything. Once you know what the path is, you get on it. You don't spend your whole life wondering after this or that. You get on the path and you stay faithful. See, the, the temptation is when we're young, we think we can be everything. But as you get a little older, you're going to find out this one thing I do. And if you can find that out early in your life, the more successful you will be later in your life because you will have been compounding the energy over and over again. We have a priority to practice. Secondly, we have a price to pay. Everybody at some level pays the price. And based upon our, our willingness to pay the price is going to determine how much power does God trust us with. Now, Elisha was going to have to pay a threefold price, and I submit to you that we will also pay sometime or another a threefold price tag. Um, first of all, it's going to cost us some relationships. Um, you see, he went back to announce to his mom and dad that he was leaving. He didn't ask to go back and say, could I leave? He was going back to announce that I am leaving. I am a, a better husband and dad when Jesus Christ is first in my life than when Jesus Christ is second in my life. There's one place where the Lord will not work, and that is in second place. Pastor talked about that last night when he was quoting from the book of Revelation about the Ephesian church that had fallen from their first love. There is one place where Christ will not work, and that is in second place. He's not just looking for a place. He's looking for the place. Every once in a while, I hear Christians in North America say that Jesus Christ is a core value of my life. Give me a break. 
He better be more than just a core value of your life. He better be the supreme reason for your life, for living and your supreme reason for breathing, the supreme reason for your heart to beat, the supreme reason to get out of bed in the morning, the supreme reason to come to God's house. My friend, Jesus Christ takes no second place to anybody else. Hallelujah. We have to understand this tonight. Somehow we just try to flirt with the fringes and border, border, uh, border with the bar, uh, borders, and we try to figure out how to make everybody like us. That is not the goal in the Christian life. Uh, it's going to cost us some relationships. Uh, if you've got somebody in your life that's driving you off course, you need to reassess those relationships in your life. Uh, you know, the, the, it would cost him some relationships. Not only relationships, but it was going to um, cost him some responsibilities, uh, professional responsibilities. You see, he was a supervisor. Um, there were others he managed. Uh, if, if you um, had one pair of oxen, you were considered successful. They had 12, 12 pair of oxen. I'll say more about that in a moment. But he, he managed, he supervised you can be too big for God to use, but you'll never be too small for God to use. Some people say, well, that job they're asking me to do, don't they know my qualifications? It reminds me of the story about the two boys walking down the hallway, getting ready to go to summer break. And they were talking and complaining about their internship. And one was saying, yeah, I'm going over to do, serve at such and such place. You know, it doesn't fit my skills and doesn't fit my talents. And the other guy chimed in, yeah, you know, I know what you're talking about. I wish I didn't have to go. But, you know, you got to get your credits in so that you can graduate. Well, about 50 feet behind them was a professor listening to the conversation. And the professor said to the two boys, uh, he said, I've been listening to what uh, you are talking about. And he said, you know, um, you can size up a person's life by how much it takes him or her to get upset. You know, small people get upset over small things. If you want to know what it takes some people to get upset over, what size they are, just watch what it takes them to get bothered and disturbed. And you'll know the size of the person. Then he looked at him. He says, I'm glad that Michelangelo did not say to the leaders years ago, I don't do ceilings. And you know, if we want to be trusted by the Lord, we have to be willing to accept whatever the assignment is that he gives to us. I remember when I came to Springfield, Missouri, Holy City for the Assemblies of God. It's Mecca. It's where the Pope is. Uh, that's what the glory is. And um, I remember when I came there, I said to my, my dorm mate, I plan to preach and teach while I'm here. And he said, he said you're not going to preach and teach while you're here. I said, well, why not? He said, well, there's all kinds of preachers who never did leave here after they graduated from school. He said, you're never going to preach and teach here. I said, well, I think I am. He said, he said, no, you're not. I said, oh, really? I think I am. He said, why do you think that? I said, because I'm willing to preach anywhere. If you're willing to preach anywhere, there's always a place for you to preach. I learned that a long time ago. If you're willing to teach anywhere, there's always a place to teach. If you're willing to serve anywhere, there's always a place to serve. If you're willing to add value anywhere, there's always a place to add value. 
But see, a lot of people say, but, but you know, they, they start stammering and stuttering, say, well, this is beyond me. Listen, there has to come a place in our life that we're willing to humble ourselves and say, Lord, whatever it is, sign me up. I want to add value. I want to be a part of the Lord's work. Oh, it cost him some responsibilities. I tell you what else it cost him. It cost him his riches. Do you know who was going to be heir of this business? He was. This was his dad's business. They were very wealthy entrepreneurs of that day. Uh, they had a pretty sophisticated uh, size uh, enterprise and farm going. They employed other people. But he packed up his bags and said, I'm going to follow my master. It reminds me of, of Peter, James, and John after that great catch of fish that they had. I mean, there's fish everywhere. There's fish in this boat and fish in that boat, fish in their laps, fish in their hair. There's fish everywhere. It's the biggest catch of their life. And when they climb out of those boats, they left everything, the Bible says, and followed Jesus. James and John left dad Zebedee sitting in the boat with the other hired servants that were there and said, I'm sorry, dad. There's the leader. We're following Jesus. They left everything. Peter and Andrew packed up their bags. They left everything. No wonder they turned the world upside down, inside out, and right side up for the glory of God. I'm here to tell you, my friend, it comes to a place that we're willing to say to the master, it doesn't matter what the money is. It doesn't matter what the assets are. If you call me there, that's where I'm going for the glory of almighty God. Hallelujah. Oh, there is a price to pay. Uh, there is a priority to practice. Third, there is a, a pathway to pursue. We won't take the time to read it in, in um, 2 Kings chapter 2. It's a very famous story. I love the story. Elijah and Elisha are walking along together. And, and the writer allows us to hear the conversation. It's, it's a powerful story. They, they start at Gilgal, uh, the place of beginnings. But they don't, they don't just stay there. You know, uh, it's important that we get saved, nail it down, and get going. You know, some people spend their whole life just getting saved, getting saved, getting saved, getting saved, getting saved. I don't think I'm saved. I think I need to get saved again. I think I need to get born again all over again. I think, I, you know, la that was last week. I need to get saved again today. Some people spend their whole life just getting saved. Uh, get saved. Know that Christ is in your heart. And get on with it. What the Lord has for you. There are some people who are afraid they have too much salvation. or some people who are afraid they don't have enough salvation. <laughs> I just think we just need to get saved and know that Christ is in our heart and get started. We don't want to spend the rest of our life at Gilgal. Now, I thank God for Gilgal. We need every one of us in this room. Need a Gilgal. Joshua needed a Gilgal in Joshua chapter 5. Uh, he's getting ready to try to figure out how to conquer his Jericho. He, and the Bible says he's at Gilgal. Uh, this is a powerful story. And the Bible says the Lord appears with a sword in his hand as though to, uh, that he's come into battle. And, and Joshua looks at the Lord and listen to what he says. He says, are you on their side or are you on their side, our side? And the Lord says, no. If Pastor Jason and I were going to get some teams together, and, 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 and I asked you now, are you going to be on Jason's side 
or my side, and you said no, you didn't answer the question. I asked you, is it him or me? You said no. You didn't answer the question. The Lord said no because he didn't come to choose sides. He came to take over. Now, listen to me tonight. This is important. It's, fun. it's foundational. When we got saved, we didn't say, now, Lord, get on my side so that I can be victorious. No, we got on his side so that we could be victorious. But somewhere along life's journey, we start praying, Lord, get on my side. Listen, that's not the way to victory. That's not the way to victory. You didn't get victorious because you got him on your side. You got on his side. If you'll stay on his side, you will live victoriously for the glory of of the Lord. Oh, it's Gilgal where we get on the Lord's side. It's Gilgal where we die to self. It's Gilgal where we're born again. And my friend, God will bring the walls of Jericho down, but you're going to first give your life to Jesus. It's a place of beginnings. And then uh, they go from there and, and they go to the Bethel, the place of breakings. That's where the altar was. You know, <laughs> this world throws away broken things, but God specializes in broken things. The blessing comes after the breaking. You read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, without exception. Every man or woman of God, sooner or later, went through the midnight hour of the soul. Read church history. It is repleted with men and women who went through the midnight hour of the soul. Even Jesus himself, the one who spoke the word, and all the universe was formed, also went through the midnight hour of the soul. He took him to Bethel. He's teaching him that the way to God is through the altar of the breaking. And that's true for each of us. And as they're, as they're walking along, uh, there's some people kind of talking. There's several hundred guys kind of following them as they're walking along. And, and one of the guys says to, says to Elisha, he says, hey, big boy, don't you know your master's going home soon? And what are you going to be after he's gone? Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, you know, you're somebody because he's here. But one day, your master's leaving. What are you going to be after he's gone? Do you know what Elisha said to that guy who represented that crowd? He said, shut up. That's what he said. He said, be quiet. You know why he said that? It's because he knew those people didn't know the master. All they could do was talk about him. He could talk to him. See, listen to me. There are a lot of people who they, 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 they talk about the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. And then when you start following the Lord, they'll make light of your walk. They'll pick at you. They'll make fun of you. Don't pay attention to that bunch. Don't step down and live your life on that level. You continue to walk with your master. And then they, they, they get a little further down now uh, to Jericho, the place of battles. And I can hear uh, Elijah say to Elisha, hey, I had some battles. You're going to have some. 
I had an Ahab and a Jezebel. Don't know what the names of your battles will be, but you're going to have some battles. You're going to have some fighting, some contending that you're going to have to do. You're going to have some spiritual warfare that you're going to have to walk through. He's saying, God gave the previous generation victory over this battle called Jericho, and he gave me victory, and he's going to give you victory. And then they end up at Jordan, the place of beholdings. You know, God saves the best for last. And this is so powerful because Elijah says to Elijah repeatedly, he says this, you stay here and I'm going further. Elisha says to Elijah, as sure as God lives and you live, I will never leave you. They get to the next place. Elijah says, hey, you hang out here, but I'm going on. And Elisha responds to Elijah. As sure as God lives and you live, I will never leave you. Elijah was giving Elisha a test. He wanted to know, are you going to finish what you start? Are you going to stay faithful to the end? It's one thing for us to get started. It's another thing to finish what we start. There are a lot of people who have dreams that have never become a reality. Not because the dream wasn't necessarily of God. They got started, but a little problem came, and they walked away from it. There comes a time that we have to stay faithful. I said we got to stay faithful when it snows and when it rains. And when we're aching and when we're celebrating. We have got to stay faithful to the other side for the glory of the Lord. And now they're on the other side of the river. And they're going to have a conversation together that no one else is going to have with Elijah. That's the kind of relationship I want to have. That's the kind of conversations I want to have is with the Lord in such a way that just he and I are in on that conversation. There's a path to pursue. But fourth and last, there's a promise to possess. They're on the other side of the River Jordan. And Elijah looks over to Elisha. Now listen very carefully to what he asks him or says to him. He says, ask of me of anything. Wow. Ask of me of anything and I'll give it to you. Now if God said to you or to me, ask of me of anything. What would you ask him for? Now, remember now, he's God. What would you ask him for? Would you say, Lord, help me to pay off my credit cards? Remember, he owns it all. Would you ask him for an extra few years? He owns it all. He's he's almighty God. What would you ask him for? If God said, Asking me of anything. I think we ought to ask God for something so large that God's impressed. I think we ought to ask God for something so large that he says, come over here, angels. I want you to listen to this one. Woo. We don't hear that every day up here. Man, they must think I'm God. Or they would never ask that. When was the last time we asked God for something so large that it complimented him? 
Bill Bright taught me that principle. Bill Bright went to be with the Lord 10 years ago last July. If you've not done any reading on his life, you ought to do it. He was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He was an amazing brother. He grew up in the Presbyterian church. And he and I were like father, son. Very, very close. I think probably outside of Jesus, the greatest Christian that I'd ever knew. Watch him walk and follow the Lord. He had such an insatiable desire to know the Lord and to walk with the Lord. And one time uh, he said to me, he said, James, it's a compliment to ask God for big things. He said, never forget it. And one time we were having a little breakfast meeting. I don't share this story very often. I probably shared it five times in the last 10 years. I said, uh, he said, we're going to have a little breakfast meeting. He's going to invite some business people over. And uh, I said, okay. And he said, uh, I want to share about the network, the vision, things are going on. And I said, okay. So I was there, and he invited 35 of his friends. Now, you have to understand something about Dr. Bright. In those 50 years that he'd followed Jesus, it started with just him and his lovely wife, Vaughnette. And as he was getting ready to go to glory, there were 27,000 full-time staff. Their budget was $500 million a year. Two and a half times the entire size of the Assemblies of God World Headquarters budget. You still with me or did you pass out? But that's who Dr. Bright was. He started with him and his little wife on a college campus in California. And so he'd been praying for big things for a long time. And he's about to give this little guy an education. He invites some of his buddies over, some friends over, business people over and and, um, and so I shared for about 10 minutes, and after I uh, shared for about 10 minutes, Dr. Bright stood. Now, at this time, he had pulmonary fibrosis, a hardening of the lungs, and he had an oxygen tank beside him to help him to breathe. And so he looked at all his uh, friends, and, and he, said, um, he said, I'm asking each of you to give a million dollars. Now, when, literally when he said that, I looked at the oxygen tank, and I said, that oxygen is not working right now. That's literally what I was in my mind. I, I, he, he, he did not just ask everybody around the table to do that. I literally looked at the oxygen tank. I said, there's something not working. Then I kind of looked at him, wondering if he's going to pass out. And, I, and, and he kept talking. He says, he, starts, he says to his friend, you can do that. God's bless your business. You can do that. God's bless your business. Afterwards, I was sitting in the back room with him. I said, Dr. Bright, I said, you know, know that much about what we just did but you just ask everybody around the table for a million dollars he said yes I said you know I, I just don't know that we laid a good enough plan out for that and uh and and he said James it's a compliment to ask people to do big things because it's saying I believe you can do that then he looked at me and he said, I've been fasting and praying over the years that 1,000 people will invest a million dollars to help me to finish the Great Commission. 697 have already done it, James. I said, okay. What was he telling me? Ask God for something big and then act on what you've asked him to do. Ask God for something big and then act on what you just asked him to do. It's one thing for us to pray about it. It's another thing to say, Lord, help me to be a part of the solution. Uh, Elijah says to Elisha, ask of me of anything. 
What does Elisha ask him for? He says, I've been walking with you and I've been talking with you for eight years. I'm not sure exactly what makes you you, but just supersize it for me. Just double it for me. What, whatever it is that makes Elijah Elijah, just double it. Double the anointing of, of what you have on your life. Let it rest on my life. Now listen to what he didn't ask for. He didn't ask for popularity. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for favor. He didn't ask for this and ask for that. He said, I want something that is priceless. I want something that only God can give me. And I want a double portion of God's spirit resting upon my life. Because I know if God anoints my life, I can bring glory and honor to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, and then Elijah says, Elijah, he says, if you see me when I leave. So I see Elijah laying down at night, or Elijah laying down at night, one eye open. Maybe he's going now. And then finally, Elijah, Elijah goes up. And when Elijah goes up, the mantle comes down. Elisha picks up that mantle, goes over to the water. And what does he do? He slaps the water. God parts the water. And the other guys who've been murmuring, they're hiding behind rocks. And what are they all saying? He has power with God. Then they say the same power that Elijah had, he now has. He did twice as many miracles as his master. Uh, The master went up. The mantle went down, and then the servant picked it up, and then he went out to touch his world. You know, there are two ascensions in the Bible, one in the old and one in the new. One in the old is about Elijah. You say, what about Enoch? Well, there's no ascension with Enoch. He's walking, and he's gone. Uh, I just figured one day God said to Enoch, we're a lot closer to my house than your house. Let's go to my house. They've been taking walks every day. Finally, they were a lot closer. They said, hey, we're closer to my house. He was gone. But there was no ascension. But with Elijah, there is one. There's one in the old. There's one in the new. In the old, Elijah went up. The mantle came down. The servant went out and touched his world. In the New Testament, the master went up. The Holy Spirit came down. The disciples went out. And what did they do? They touched their entire world. My friend, there was a promise in the old, and there's a promise in the new. Peter stood up there in front of the the crowd on the day of Pentecost, and he said in verse 37, this promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off, and as many as the Lord shall call unto himself. Notice what he says. This promise is for you. He didn't say a singular you. He said the plural you. He said this promise is for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. There were thousands there. He said not just for you, but for your children. My friend, we don't need to have secondhand knowledge. We need to have firsthand knowledge. Not only do I need it, but my children need it. Not only do you need it, but your children need it. And the Bible says that as many as the Lord shall call unto himself. My friend, we have a promise to possess. It's our promise. We have to take hold of that promise. You see, the first time Elijah put the mantle on Elijah, but the second time Elijah had to put it on himself. And my friend, Jesus has gone up. The Holy Spirit has come down. We have to apply him to our life and allow him to empower us for his glory. He's looking for people tonight who are willing to say, Lord, I want power with you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to have conversations with you that no one else knows about. I want 
that anointing to be supersized in my life. I want it double upon me so that I might impact this world for the glory of the Lord. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.